You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. The world of business is a challenging one. From the youngest entrepreneurs to the biggest and most respected names across Canada, you need to have a strong will, determination, and skills to navigate to the top. I'll be talking to everyone from budding entrepreneurs to the established leaders in the world of business. You'll hear their stories of where they were, where they are, and where they're going. I'm Manjeet Minhas, and this is my podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's show. My guest today is Drew Green, the president and CEO of Indochino. Drew has invested in over 40 companies across Canada and has been a chairman and founder for 15 of those companies. With the knowledge and experience Drew has gained over the years, he started Indochino and has become one of the fastest growing apparel brands in men's fashion and the number one fastest growing Canadian retailer with global sales with revenues over $100 million. Today, we'll talk to Drew about the many business ventures he's been through and that has led to his success today. Welcome to the show, Drew. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate it. It's good to see you. Yeah, I just appreciate your time. Thank you. So likewise. So let's start back in the beginning a bit, as I like to do. You were born in Scarborough, Ontario. <laughs> and you loved basketball growing up. And so tell me a little bit about the early years of uh, Drew's life. Yeah, I, I've got nothing but really, really fond memories of of the early years, right? Like you said, I grew up in Scarborough, single parent and lived, you know, I think, as I've said many times, we moved around a lot, you know, 18 homes in 18 years. Oh, wow. But it was an adventure, right? And it it really taught me a lot about resilience. And it taught me a lot about just adjusting to the circumstances and making the best of things. And I really look back on it fondly, you know, and I'm grateful for all the sacrifice my mom made to make sure that I had you know, really everything I needed, maybe not everything I wanted, but but certainly everything I needed. That's a great thing. And sports was always sort of front and center for me. And it really provided, I think, a, a grounds to how my life has evolved, right? It taught me leadership. It taught me how to be competitive and taught me how to win, both from losing and from winning. And some of my best friends to this date come from Scarborough and are, are guys that I played with. And so Really, really good memories from those early years. Yeah, that's fantastic. I like that you know the distinction now, probably not as a kid, is what you got what you needed, maybe not what you wanted. And I like that you can look back and actually tell the difference, which not everybody does or can, which is important because you don't always grow up in all of the circumstances that you wish. And that's what kind of drives us, us as entrepreneurs to do better and be better, I think, too. Yeah, for sure. And I think we, as parents, and I know you're, proud mom, you know, you really, there's a lot of things you want to teach your kids, but perspective, I think is a, is a key one. And, you know, you have to have perspective. And as you go through life as a father, as a husband, as a, you know, entrepreneur, perspective is key and it's critical. And, you know, I had to learn perspective at a young age in terms of needs and wants, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And so basketball took you to university. And what did you think the plan was then when you were in York University? Wow, you did a lot of research. That's great. Like I said, basketball was my passion, right? I just, I, I loved it. I've got two sons that play at a really high level now and are way better than I was at, at their age. I never, you know, and I say this to them all the time, I never had the dream of playing in the NBA. I wanted to be a CEO. As odd as that sounds, you know, in your teenage years, I really, my dreams were around that, were around traveling. You know, I had, I have this vivid memory 
of playing handball, you know, in grade seven or eight and saying, one day I'm going to live in New York. And I ended up living in New York for 10 years. And so, you know, basketball certainly was, was front and center. I went to York and, and played and, and met so many great people through the sport. But I also, it, it actually was an interesting time because I had a scholarship opportunity that I lost. And I lost it because my mom had, was having open heart surgery and there's just no way I could leave Toronto. And so, you know, I stayed home and then went to York, but with no scholarship. And so what was I going to do? I can't pay for school. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm taking kinesiology. I know how to work out really well now. And so let me, let me get my certification to become a personal trainer. Mm. That started my first business. Um, I had some little businesses in my teenage years that helped get some of those wants on my own. But, you know, I started this personal training company that just flourished. And that's really the first time that I understood what it was like to build a business. It gave me a lot of things. I met a, a, an incredible group of people, CEOs, doctors, entertainers, celebrities, and built the business to be actually quite big and then sold that at the end of university. And so, you know, my university was busy. You know, I was working full time, playing basketball, and I was obviously doing my school in between and, and getting my degree. But it was a great experience. And actually, yesterday, I just joined the board at York University. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I just, I, I just accepted that yesterday, which is a real honor. So yeah, full circle moment for sure. Yeah. I really like how you took what expertise that you were developing in school and saw a moment in need because definitely in the 90s, fitness training, personal training was up and coming and yeah. blowing up on a lot of levels. But you also knew that you needed to make money. So you wanted to do being an entrepreneur sometimes a nice, it's flexible in the fact that you can do it on your own time, which often means all the time, but you're able to fit a couple other things in too. And so why did you decide to, to sell that company since things were going so well? That's a really, that's a really intuitive question. I, you know, for me, and I also use this as a life lesson as I've navigated, you know, the last whatever, 25 years, I was burnt out. As funny as that sounds, or as like, wow, as that sounds, here I was 22, 23 years old, and I was just working, working, working and building, had hired trainers, built a gym, doing school and doing basketball. And I was just at this point where I wasn't enjoying life. And I kind of looked at myself and said, oh my gosh, like I just got my degree. It's been amazing, but I'm tired. I also realized that not tired, but I was just worn out. Like I was just doing too much. And I also realized that I didn't want to be a trainer, you know, in my, in my late twenties and thirties and forties. And so Kind of the combination of those things led me to sell the business and then go overseas, which was a life-changing journey. It's pretty self-aware at such a young age to know that that's too much on your plate and that I, I'm going to part with one and the one that maybe I don't see a long-term future in. And so that for most people is kind of like they live on the laurels of doing that. They don't really continue on to do many others. So what drove you and inspired you? to continue going and really be a serial entrepreneur. So I had that journey overseas and, you know, went to Australia and, and played basketball there and met a girl that lived in Singapore and, and lived in Asia and traveled all over Asia with her. And it was just this incredible experience of, again, and there's a kind of a common theme here, Manjit, which is just meeting amazing people, right? And learning and seeing different cultures and 
I remember coming back to my boys in Scarborough and I had an accent and they were making fun of me, which wasn't a real accent. I think I was just, you know, away too long, but just feeling like I could do anything. Right. And I, I was so empowered. And from there, I just said, what do you know now? What do I love? What am I really interested in? And technology was was it that led me into a venture where we built an ad tech firm over a very short period of time and sold that to DoubleClick. And then I, as part of that acquisition, moved to New York, which was that seven grade seven dream I had. So it was kind of, again, full circle. You manifested and going to New York and eventually you got there, I guess. <laughs> and so Australia, Singapore, Chicago, New York, all very different, unique cities, very happening cities, very competitive cities on the forefront of trends. Which one stands out or if any in your mind? And what do you think all of those cities gave you as far as a different perspective in, in the rest of the businesses in your life? So many different lessons, so many different things from each destination. You know, New York was a special journey because, as you know, New York is nonstop, right? And, you know, the opportunity to live and enjoy work. You literally, in your 20s, you're working and enjoying the city probably 18 hours a day between the two of them. And so, you know, I just got to experience all of it. And it taught me how hard you needed to work in a competitive environment. Because one thing about New York is it's kind of got like the best of the best everywhere. You sit down at a at a bar and the person next to you is on Broadway and they're top of their game in terms of that. You look to your left and they're on Wall Street, etc. And so, you know, it's really a competitive environment and you learn how to compete at a really, really high level and you learn how to do business at a really, really high level. And that carried me through. Chicago was was a magical time because my boys were so young. We lived right across from the Lincoln Park Zoo. And for that four-year period was just a really magical time to spend a lot of time with them. I was still doing business, but I was spending a lot of time with my sons at that at those early, early ages. And that was important to me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Chicago is a very vibrant city. I like that you said that the cream of the crop is in New York. I think many of us know that it's nonstop who come in and out of it. But yeah. I've never lived there. But I agree with you. It it feels like all of the top people in the world transcend to New York because it is where everything is happening. But also you are learning a lot. But in order to keep up, you're definitely pushing yourself and you realize what it takes. And I think for some people that's encouraging and inspiring. And for some people, they determine it might not be for me. For sure. And it isn't for it isn't a city for everyone. I remember when I first got there, someone looking at me and saying, you got to be here like two years to consider yourself a New Yorker. You're not, you know, you're a tourist right now. And he was right. You know, you really have to enjoy it and get into it to really feel it. And it's not for everyone though. That's for sure. And it's also stage of life too. Like I, I was back there a couple of weeks ago for an event and for the playoffs for the Yankees. And I love New York, but I'm, I'm a father now. And I love doing business in Canada. I love empowering entrepreneurs in Canada. Canada is my home. And one other thing I think you'll appreciate, and again, like I love, I love New York, but being there taught me how amazing Canada is. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood where so much diversity, Jamaican, Bayesian, Indian, Chinese, Irish, and I love that, right? And, and in New York, you would think from the outside that it's very multicultural, but I found it to be not that way, right? And that was hard, but it also made me appreciate 
how amazing our country is. Which leads me to my next question. You came back and moved back to Canada and moved back to Vancouver. And so what really drove you to choose and continually choose Canada, its entrepreneurs, where you invest and where you spend the majority of your time? Like what makes entrepreneurship in Canada so amazing and gives it a competitive advantage, do you believe? Well, I, I mean, you know this better than I do. I, I think Canada has come a long way these last five to 10 years, but I moved back to Canada in 2011. So what's that, 11 years? And I really came back, and I've talked about this before, but I came back for, for three reasons. Number one, I wanted to raise my son's Canadian. I wanted them to be Canadian, and that was important to me. They'd lived in New York and Chicago, et cetera, but raising them Canadian was important. The second thing is, you know, I'd had this success in, in the U.S., but I felt like I wanted to have that success in Canada. And so that was a really motivating factor. And then the third was I just kind of thought it was way too hard for entrepreneurs in Canada. I didn't think that they had the access to capital or the access to mentors or the access to thinking globally about their business. Too many businesses were selling too soon. Too many businesses weren't raising you know, the right amount of capital or partnering with the right global organizations. And, and I saw that as a great challenge and opportunity to, to be a small part of. And I think, you know, I have been. So uh, those, were, those were the driving forces coming back. And so once you came back, you decided to do a couple of things, but you launched Indochino in 2015. And what made you think from the businesses that you were in, train, personal training, tech, a variety of other things, but yeah. fashion, what made you want to take <laughs> on fashion? Because I know a couple of people in that industry and wow, I thought the liquor industry is tough. Fashion yeah. is next level. And then you add on top of that retailing. So you took on two behemoths and you came up with a concept that was very different. This made to measure concept to the masses. Because before Indochino, I can say my husband for sure always had to go to specialty tailors or you know spend a lot more money then, you know, I thought was necessary, but, um, but, but what made you think that this is a ripe place for some innovation? You know, bespoke custom made to measure apparel has been around for hundreds of years. And I, I just saw the opportunity within the Chino to take something that was really expensive, that was really time consuming, but really valuable to a man's wardrobe and make it available to the masses. I know we're a retail business. We just launched our 86th uh, showroom today. Uh, another coincidence for this podcast. Wow. But I just saw a chance to do retail differently. And I saw a chance to really take, to really, really dig into the technology side and make made to measure and custom apparel available at scale. And that's what we've done. And we've got these 86 showrooms that are virtual inventory. So very, very different than your traditional retail. And a very big global online business. And so, yeah, it's kind of a, a melding pot of a lot of my experiences. And I've always really loved fashion. And so what made you think that you could bring technology into? Because now I think anybody who starts any businesses feel that technology, ha it has to be technology empowered. Absolutely. When you started, did you have to start from scratch to come up with the systems, with the software, with really the everything behind the scenes in order to make it for not only your industry, but right for your business so that because a lot of uh, fashion businesses die with too much inventory. And there's a lot of other things, but that is a big thing, a big chunk of where their money is spent. 
So how are you going to do it and how have you done it smarter? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Number one, that, you know, we live in an age now where every company is a technology company, right? At, at some level. And for us, we've been in the nine figure revenue business now since 2000, 2017, 2018. You know, our seven year CAGR is just over 30%, including that COVID period. And I, what I knew then, which is proven out to now, is that there is no way to do what we do at scale without really focusing in and making the supply chain as efficient as possible. So hopefully we can we can have you into the showroom with your husband. You go through the hour appointment. Those measurements, those selections, and those personalizations, they get shipped, you know, electronically to, to China almost instantaneously. The laser cutter starts getting to work and your garments created within four to five days and shipped to your door within two weeks. Nobody was doing that seven years ago. And very few do it now. Yeah, I mean, for us, the, the business and the success we've had is really originates from the supply chain and making sure that we did that right with the vision that one day we would sell a million suits. And so that's 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 a big part of it. I think a lot of apparel is burdened, as you said, with inventory. I have zero inventory. So we, we're having a record year this year, up 53% over last year, but I don't have any inventory on my books it's all made once it's ordered and that's a really special formula as you can imagine in in retail and and really any business yeah definitely any you know consumer packaged goods business it definitely is an amazing formula i know i don't have that i've got as i joke all my children's inheritance is sitting in bottles and cans and paper (laughs) cardboard (laughs) and a lot of machines (laughs) i bet i bet and so you brought up the word covid and i have to go there What did you feel like as a company, as a CEO, when for about a year, if not more, everybody was saying suits are dead. Nobody's buying them again. Nobody's putting real pants on anymore. (laughs) Get rid of everything you have. Like it, it felt like we were all, you know, just going to live in sweatpants for the rest of (laughs) the days to come. But specifically to you guys, everybody was definitely talking about the end of formal suits. Obviously not the case. But definitely in that time, what were you guys thinking about what was going to happen and what your future looked like? So I think the last two and a half years is probably the most proud business moments I've ever had. I think the way that my team and and my board and my shareholders all came together to really take what was an apocalyptic type event and turn it into an opportunity as we have is just something that I'm so proud of. I mean, we've launched 35 showrooms during COVID. Incredible. I don't know if many apparel retailers have done that, but what was it like? So it was painful. <laughs> you know, we were in Jamaica. It was my wife's birthday and and we were there celebrating. And literally that night, my phone was was going off for 10 days straight. And, you know, in day six or seven, Starbucks had closed down their stores. Apple had closed down their stores. I had employees getting sick. It was just such a a strenuous time. And I just remember staying calm and just dealing with each item as it came up and trying to anticipate as many items as we could as a team. But we shut down the network. You know, we were at 51 stores at the time all across North America, six, 700 retail employees at that time. And we just made the decision to, to really cocoon the business and protect it. And we did that. As you know, the US opened a lot quicker than 
than we did, which is probably a good thing for us. And then your point's a good one, man. Like there was a lot of media and a lot of, you know, attention to will people ever wear suits again? But what I know is that probably one of the most important parts of your wardrobe is that suit, whether you have one or a hundred. And, you know, I had total confidence, unwavering confidence that that would stay true. And it has, you know, when I talk about one of the things I talk about all the time is every challenge is truly an opportunity. If you look at it in the right way. And what I saw was, Hey, we built this incredible business, but we come out of COVID and we can be a global market leader. We set our sights on that. And, you know, we launched a partnership with Nordstrom during COVID. Like I said, we've launched 35 showrooms during the, the COVID pandemic, bigger and more profitable than ever. So very proud of the team for what we've been able to do these last two and a half years. I like that outlook that we're not disappearing when we don't have a playbook for this pandemic. We're actually going to come out of it stronger as a global market leader and do some things different while everybody else is just wondering maybe how they'll survive. We're yeah. already past that. So much of it, I think, is not only mindset, but is that point that you say, staying calm. And I think that as leaders, um, no matter how small or large a company is very key to being a leader is staying calm. Yeah, it is. It's hard, though. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard, but I think it's important. And I always say, like, you know, just being solutions focused keeps you calm, right? You can talk about a problem all day long, but at some point, you really got to get down to solving it. And if you look at it the right way, that problem actually is an opportunity for you. And so, but it certainly was hard. I, I think it actually helped being in Jamaica and staying calm on the beach uh, <laughs> in those first couple of weeks. I, I remember turning to my son and I said, hey, look at that house over there. We should rent that house and just stay <laughs> stay in Jamaica for, for COVID. But that obviously didn't happen. Hmm. And so I've heard you talk before about People, product, partnerships, and profit. Yeah. Talk to me about each of those and how you believe that they come together and have been defining in not only your career, but in all the businesses that you've been a part of. Yeah, I think it's, we all need a compass, right? You know, I have several different compasses in in the different parts of my life, but in terms of building a business or helping build a business or mentoring an entrepreneur or an executive, this is my core. These are my pillars. And I think that no success happens without great people, right? I learned that from a very young age, being an athlete, and then in my early days of being an entrepreneur. And so if you really want to win as a business, you've got to surround yourself with the absolute best team. You've got to treat them really, really well and grow their careers and grow their grow towards their ambitions. And so every, every success starts with people. You obviously need to have product that people want. And you got to focus there and make sure that it is differentiated, make sure that it does provide value. And then partnerships to me is probably as important as people. You know, I don't think you do anything alone in life. You, the success you have, the family you have, the friends you have, you know, it's defined by the relationships that you develop. And, and in business, those relationships are often referred to as partnerships and, you know, taking Chino, from where we were to where we are, it's been all about partnerships in China, in Japan, across North America, whether it's our manufacturer or the New York Yankees or dozens of other businesses. And that really helped us accelerate. And then through those first three Ps, you can't lose sight of profit. It's got to be front and center. And 
I mean, you know this with all the businesses that you see, it's it's very hard to focus on profit in the early days. Yes. But if you do, it will stay with you and it'll be it'll be front and center as you make decisions as you grow that business. And it's really important. Yeah, that I, I like the philosophy for sure. And obviously it's not something that you've come up with overnight and and something that you have honed in on. And it, there it's very true. And I think that often it sounds simpler than it is, but um yeah. all very four keys to making a successful business for sure. So you've been given many honors and awards through your career. I definitely won't go through all of them, but some of the top ones are definitely Entrepreneur of the Year in 2018 from Ernst & Young, one of the most admired CEOs from Waterstone Human Capital, Breakout Retailer Award. That's a pretty interesting one. And so you decided to name some awards after yourself, the Drew Green Thunderbird Award from UBC and the Drew Green Lions Award at York. And so tell me what to you awards and recognition and give back is why it's important and what it has really done for you to meet new people, but also to connect you to to different worlds that maybe you weren't aware of before. Yeah, I think it's really important. We all only have so much time, right? And it's as we go through our business journey, you know, we probably hold time more than anything or as valuable as anything else. And I, I just think, you know, it's important to give back some of that time and, and really help. The York and UBC awards are special to me because it kind of represents my journey to a certain extent. I had an opportunity to come to UBC and play basketball, you know, on scholarship. And I had that and I was really ready to go. And then my mom had the heart problem. And UBC is just a fantastic organization and I've gotten to know them. And so I felt like setting a, an award up there that would help male and female basketball and, and male football players have some financial support, have a scholarship. I thought that would be really special. And so that's how that originated. And then, you know, as I talked about in, in the first in the first part, York was a special part of my journey. And so the opportunity to, to create a, you know, a small difference in a young student athlete's life, that's, I think, a real honor. And that's where that originates. And I, I don't know why, but they both sort of named the awards with my name like that, but I guess it'll stick. We'll see. <laughs> so you're 25 plus years into your career and it seems like you definitely are not slowing down. So what's next for you or your companies, your investments? What are you looking for in the future? Even as part of your investments go, where do you see the most exciting things happening? You know, I often talk about wanting to live till I'm 100. I really do <laughs> believe that I that I will. It's a really good question. I don't know that I have a specific answer other than at this point in time in my life, being a father is the number one thing I'm most proud of and spend the most time thinking about. And so as I choose partners, as I choose people to work with, or as I choose things to get involved with, I really think about how that might fit into what my sons might be doing in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And so there's some big goals that I have around a couple of special projects that I'll just kind of keep to myself for now, but there's definitely a couple of things I'd like to do, but the family will be a big part of that. Mm, good to hear. And so what advice would you have for young entrepreneurs who are listening today, who are ready to get out there and start their own business? So that we, this is a, this is the question we always get, right? Is what advice, and I've, I've given 
uh, quite a bit of advice through the years. I think one thing I haven't talked about enough is embracing failure. And that can come from just a mindset point of view of like, okay, I'm going to get going and I might not be successful, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try. Or it's knowing that failure is not the end, right? Or having a failure is not the end. And I think too many entrepreneurs are, they almost get gridlocked in their fear of failure, but failure can be a very, very, very valuable experience amongst your journey, right? And it can really empower the end goal that you have either with a business or with your own personal development or both. And so with that, I guess I have to ask you, what have you failed at? Oh my gosh, I've failed at so many things. <laughs> I've failed at so many things. I mean, I, you know, I, the first thing I thought about is how many jumpers I've missed playing basketball. <laughs> but as anybody, as any of my friends would tell you, I never saw a shot I didn't, I didn't take. I failed so many times. And I, I feel like, you know, we were talking about leadership. One of the most important things as you go through failures is to take responsibility and accountability, right? And sometimes that's hard because it actually, you know, might not be your fault, but looking for ways that you could do things different are important. I don't have any pressing examples, but I know I've failed probably three or four times this week. So, <laughs> Right. And I think that's the interesting what the definition of failure is individual to everybody. It's not only about money. It's not only about reputation. It's not only about a business opening or closing. It can be on a lot of other levels. It can be some simple as some of the partnership things you talked about or products. When a new product isn't something that you dream or imagine after you put in resources to it. And so the definition of failure, I think, is something I think that all entrepreneurs and individuals in general need to sometimes define a little more for themselves because it's not the same for everybody. That's that's really well said. It's not. As you're talking, like I think about sometimes I've picked the wrong partners and that's been a failure. I think the other thing that came right to my mind was just making sure that you communicate because some of the things that I failed at, I, I kind of look back and the only regret I have is, oh, I wish I just communicated that a bit better or whatever, whatever that might be. And so I think it's important not to not to dwell on those things, right? You just keep moving forward. Very true. And so being an entrepreneur, we talk about always the good, but I think it's important, as you pointed out, to talk about the not so good sometimes. And some of that comes as sacrifices. And you talked about it in the beginning, being burnt out and obviously being a little more self-aware as life has gone on. But yeah. what do you think, in your perspective, has been some of the sacrifices you've made, you've made to become a successful entrepreneur? Sacrifices. I think there's been many. You know, it's a lifestyle that is not for everyone, as you are really, really well aware of, right? Like, I think about my life as, is pretty nonstop. I've learned how to balance and not get to a point of, you know, mental or physical exhaustion. But I was up at 4.30. My son and I went to train at 6 at UBC took them to school at 8.30 and then I've been on calls all day. And so what I've learned and what I've become, I think, fairly good at is just treating every day like it's work and vacation and just going, you know, really seven days a week. Because as you know, Manji, you've, you've got to work hard. Your success is defined by your work at the end of the day. And there's really no days off, whether you're a father and you have an opportunity to go see a game or you're you know, starting a business or growing a business seven days a week. Yeah. So talking about being a father, do your sons think that you're cool? And are they interested in joining any of the ventures that you're a part of? 
I think they think I'm cool. I don't know. I think (laughs) I got a 14 and a 17 year old. They're quite aware of how much I'm in the media or, or in the, in the social media or whatever. They're, they're kind of aware of all the things that we're involved in. And they're really cool kids because I think one of the things I really wanted for them was to have a dream to, to set goals and then really teach them how to work towards it, whatever their dreams were. And it happened that their dreams have become being the best possible basketball players they can be and and maybe even playing in the NBA one day. And they've they're just incredible kids. They work so hard. They're good at school. People love them. And it's because they work so hard and they're they're just good people. So I don't know if they think I'm super cool, but I think they think I'm a little bit cool. What have you been teaching them? Because those are some pretty formidable ages where you're starting to define what your future is going to be. What have you been teaching them about entrepreneurship and or a career path that might be something that might fit for them? You know, they've got this great wealth of experience in you that has had lots of different careers. And so what one piece of advice do you give them? Well, it kind of refers back to hard work. You know, my kids, despite their access and means, are pretty much the hardest working kids you'll ever meet. I mean, my eldest son is living in in California right now and, you know, trains and practices and works out, you know, 25 hours a week, plus goes to school, plus, plus, plus. And so, and he's been doing that for years. My other son, like I said, we were at the gym at 6 a.m. this morning. What I think I've passed on and I've taught them is how important it is to work hard. And I really believe that, that if you learn how to set a goal, you learn how to apply yourself through hard work, whatever it is they choose to do in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, and so on, you know, they're going to have a good shot at doing it because they've learned how to set a goal and then work towards it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what we're doing on the show, be sure to follow us, leave us a like, rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode with another great guest for more insightful conversation. We'll see you again next time. Cheers.